This morning's reading is taken from the book of Acts in chapter 15 and then in the first part of chapter 16. And for those of you who'd like to follow it in the Church Bible, it's a nice easy page to find. It's page 1111, 1111, beginning at verse 36 of chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatea, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. And thank you very much, Chris, for reading that for us. So do, if you would like, have a Bible open as we go. It's on page 1111, and there are Bibles under the end seat of each row if you would like to grab one. But I'd like to start with a question. Do you like making decisions? I mean, you've all made at least two already this morning. You decided to get out of bed and come to church, and you decided what you were going to wear. I guess most of you decided what to have for breakfast as well, unless someone else made that decision for you, perhaps. But some decisions are really minor and not worth spending any time agonizing over. I mean, how much time do you spend deciding what color socks to put on in the morning, for example? But other decisions are much bigger. Where to go on holiday? What school to send children or grandchildren to? when to retire from a job or apply from a new job, 
whether to move house, perhaps to downsize at a particular point in our lives, and so on and so on. And for those sort of big decisions, especially the ones that affect our family, our home, our working life, I'm sure many of us would say that we would like to be open to God's guidance as we decide. But how does that work? How can we hear from God and let him guide us in our daily lives? Well, in our passage today, Paul and his companions make three big decisions. We're going to explore how they came to those decisions and how God was at work through them. And then we'll finish by thinking a little bit more practically about how we can hear from God today. We pick up the story at Antioch in Syria, and Paul and Barnabas are leaders of the church there. I think we might have a map on the screen that shows you Antioch in Syria at the bottom right-hand corner of the map. And previously, Paul and Barnabas had travelled around planting churches sort of northwest, particularly in Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. And what they're planning to do now is go back and revisit those churches and see how the believers are getting along. But that's where they hit the first big decision, who to take with them as part of the team. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark, but Paul isn't so sure. So a little bit of of past history, Mark was part of the previous church planting expedition, but he gave up and went home when it started to get difficult. And Paul now thinks he's a bit flaky and can't rely on him. I need better people than that around me. But Barnabas says, no, he's only young. Let's give him a second chance. Everyone can make mistakes. They disagree so sharply that they part company and go their separate ways. Barnabas takes Mark and heads southwest down to Cyprus, whereas Paul takes Silas with him and heads up, like we were looking at, northwest, back to the churches they planted previously. Now, I wonder what we think about their decision-making. We may perhaps have the words of Jesus ringing in our ears when he said, blessed are the peacemakers. And Paul himself later writes to the Romans, if it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Kind of seems like they're doing the exact opposite in letting this disagreement determine the course of their ministry. But I invite you to look at it a slightly different way. By agreeing to disagree, Paul and Barnabas come up with a temporary solution which respects both of their views. And actually, as a result, not one but two mission teams head out And the work of God is multiplied. And there is also a little bit of breathing space and relationships could be healed over time. We read in 2 Timothy, which is one of the last letters that Paul wrote, that as he approached the end of his life, it was Mark he wanted at his side. This same Mark who is rejected in this passage. And in 2 Timothy, he describes Mark as helpful in ministry. So that's quite a turnaround, isn't it? And I think for us, the principle of living in peace with others as far as it depends on us is a good one. But there will be times when we disagree with other people. And then the challenge is to disagree well and respect one another's views, but not let anything detract from our main purpose to love and serve God and other people. 
I, as you know, I'm in my curacy at the moment. And as part of my training, I'm in a year group of 16 other curates from across our diocese. We were all ordained together two years ago. We continue to meet once a month for training. And we have a, a WhatsApp group on, on the mobile phone to keep in touch during the meantime as well, which is quite active. But within our group, we've got people from across the whole spectrum of the Church of England. And as you might imagine, there's quite a lot that we don't agree on. We hold different views on a whole load of things. And we are very open with one another. We, we can speak about anything to one another, and we know that we hold these different views. But this group has been an absolute joy for me to be part of because of the way that we are able to live out these values of mutual love, respect, and care. Agreeing to disagree with one another, holding our different views and respecting that, but keeping the focus on God and how he is at work in and through each of us. So this first decision in our Acts passage shows the importance of keeping the main thing the main thing. When we disagree with others, and we will, it happens, we're all human, but can we keep our focus on what God is doing and not let those differences become a barrier. So, Paul and Silas set off from Antioch. Let's have the map back up again. And they head up through Derby, and they get as far as Lystra, the sort of third stop on the journey, if you're following the red lines. And in Lystra, they meet up with Timothy, a disciple who has a Jewish mother and a Greek father. Paul wants to take Timothy along as part of the team, but first, he makes the second important decision in the passage, namely to circumcise Timothy before they set off. Now, let's be clear about one thing. Timothy did not have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. We're told he was a disciple already before Paul got there. And if you were here last week when we looked at the previous chapter, Acts 15, the church had just made a really huge decision that Gentiles, non-Jewish people could be part of the church without having to follow all of the Jewish law, including circumcision. However, since Paul knew that the areas they were going to travel through were populated largely by Jewish people, he decided Timothy needed to be circumcised in order not to put a stumbling block in the way of the Jews hearing the good news about Jesus. He didn't want them to be distracted by wondering whether Timothy was a genuine follower of Jesus or not. He wanted nothing to detract from the work of God. It's the same principle that I just spoke about being worked out in a different context. Paul goes on to write to the Roman church about this very thing. In Romans 14, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. So in that passage, Paul is talking particularly about food laws, what you can and can't eat. Although the early church were free to eat anything, there might be times when it was wise and loving to hold back from eating certain foods in order not to put a stumbling block in the way of somebody for whom it was a problem. 
So how does that principle work out for us today? I mean, I don't think anyone's going to get hung up on what we eat, although please tell me if I'm wrong. But I think for us, it's more about not putting barriers in the way of people coming to know Jesus or feeling welcome in this church community. Offering an unconditional welcome to everybody, whoever they are. And making our worship as accessible as possible to everyone even if that means on occasions putting our personal preferences to one side. Not letting anything get in the way of giving somebody the opportunity to meet with God and hear the good news about Jesus for themselves. That was the principle behind Paul's second big decision. But then, they've now visited all those churches in the area around Lystra, which they planted previously, And now they face the third and final decision, where to go next. So, reading from verse 6 onwards, summarizing what we're told, we're told that they travel throughout Phrygia and Galatia, so those sort of green areas just around Lystra, Iconium and Derby, and again, follow the red lines on the map. But then we're told that they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching in the province of Asia. So Asia, in the center of the map there, was a no-go. They had to go around the outside of that. They come to the border of Mysia, there at the top of Asia, and they intend to go into Bithynia, up to the northeast, but the Spirit doesn't allow them to. So they bypass Mysia, and they arrive in Troas, which you can see there on the coast. And then Paul has a vision of a man from Macedonia. So you can see Macedonia top left of the map. And in this vision, the man begs Paul to come and help the people of Macedonia. So the team set off, they set sail across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, concluding that this is where God is calling them to go preach the gospel. That's the route they took, but I'm aware that there might be a lot of questions around that because I've just talked through the geography. How exactly did they know they were being guided by God in these decisions? What does it mean to say the Spirit didn't allow them to go into certain areas? And how did Paul know that the vision was God speaking to him, not just a figment of his imagination? And what does all of this mean for how God guides us today? Well, I'm going to ask you to hold on to those questions for a moment, and I'm going to come back later to draw some thoughts on how we can hear from God and be guided by him. But first, I'd like us to listen to someone else's story, which describes the difference it can make when someone acts on a prompt from God to act in a particular way. Lynn, will you come forward and share your story? I'm praying that my story will not only be an encouragement to those going through dark places at the moment, but also that it highlights that praying for others can be really powerful. Tragically, in 2015, my husband Jim had been diagnosed with cancer, complicated by being born with only one kidney. The surgeon had told us candidly that there was only a 50-50 chance of Jim surviving the surgery. The day before surgery, Jim and I were walking along the sunny river Putmarth at Richmond, and I was silently pleading with God when her grandmother, pushing a buggy, was approaching us. 
She said, what a beautiful smile I had. And I thought, how odd, bearing in mind the situation. Jim looked and said that I was radiant, and I knew in that instant that he would survive his surgery. I explained to him that I felt absolutely certain that he would come through this operation. He felt that certainty himself through the events of that afternoon, and he went into the operation the next day with that confidence. I shared my conviction with the surgeon when we arrived, and I hoped that it would inspire him and his team. As he was a Muslim from Damascus, I felt sure that he would understand the impact of prayer. Even though I knew all this in my heart, naturally I was concerned for my husband as I made my way home from St. George's. I found myself wandering into Tesco's at Shannon's Corner. I didn't need anything except distraction and perhaps a little normality. But aimlessly, I put things into a trolley and I queued to pay. The lady in front of me suddenly looked up from her packing and asked me what the matter was. I was a little surprised because I didn't think that I was obviously emotional. But it seemed only polite to give her a brief explanation. She asked if she could pray, which seemed the most natural thing in the world to both of us. We held hands over the trolley and both prayed, oblivious to where we were. When we'd finished, I was so grateful for the loving peace that I felt as a result of her prayerful intervention. I often recall her and I wish I could speak to her again. As she resumed packing, I saw that the lovely Muslim cashier was sobbing. When I turned to apologize for the delay to the queue behind me, they were all noticeably moved and sympathetic. I believe from the way that they reacted that they will never forget that moment either. Not only did our father bless my husband, the surgical team, and our daughter Tori and me with his peace and hope at such a critical time, but he used my Tesco moment to touch many hearts that day. Prayer is the common thread. I'd been heard in my desperation and gave others confidence to replace doubt. The lovely shopper had been obedient when she had been nudged to speak and pray with me. So this is a lesson for all of us to listen to such promptings and respond with confidence. Jim and I were blessed with another 16 months together, although he did become progressively more ill with spreading cancer. Although it seems that a cure would have been the ideal response to our prayers, we all know that God often has other plans for us. However, during this time, I watched Jim coming ever closer to our Father, and that was another answer to my prayers. Thank you so much, Lynn, for sharing your story with us. Such a powerful story of how God was at work in those moments. So I'm going to finish with some thoughts about how we can be open to hear from God in both the big decisions we face in life, but also in those smaller nudges to step out and act in a particular way, as that Tesco shopper did when she prayed for Lynn over the shopping trolley. I'm going to suggest four ways in which God speaks to us today if we're open to listen. First, God speaks through scripture. 
Psalm 119, verse 105, says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And the Bible is our primary source of guidance from God. He speaks to us through the pages of Scripture to show us how much he loves us and to teach us how to love him with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we are serious about wanting to hear from God, the place to start is the Bible, committing to spend time reading God's word prayerfully each day and asking him to speak to us through it. Second, God speaks through other people. Proverbs 20 verse 18 tells us that plans are established through seeking advice. And particularly if we're facing a big decision in life, it can be really valuable to chat it through with others we know and trust and listen to their wisdom. However, as we saw with Paul and Barnabas in their first big decision in the passage, sometimes we don't always agree with those around us. And so it's important not just to rely on other people to do the discerning for us, but to hold this alongside the other ways in which God guides Third, God speaks through our common sense. We saw that in the second big decision where Paul decided to circumcise Timothy so that not to create a stumbling block to others. Christian theologian John Stott once wrote, God's promises of guidance were not given to save us the problem of thinking. And sometimes we just need to stop and apply our God-given common sense And it becomes clear what God is prompting us to do. But fourth and finally, God can guide us directly in natural and supernatural ways. Sometimes, like happened for Paul in today's passage, God might give us a vision or a picture. Or perhaps it would be through a word of knowledge or a prophecy where God gives someone else an insight into our situation that they might not naturally have had. And then he speaks to us through that. Or it can be through circumstances, doors closing, doors opening. And I wonder whether this is what was going on when the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go into certain areas. Perhaps they tried, but the door was closed. It's like, you know, an example for us might be if we applied for a particular job and felt that might be what God had for us. We fill in the application form, maybe even go for the interview and then get turned down we conclude the door has closed and we keep discerning where else God might be calling. Or God can guide through simply a deep sense of knowing in our hearts that he is prompting us to act in a particular way, as I suspect happened for Lynn's shopper in Tesco's. How do we know if these instances of direct guidance are really from God? Well, Sometimes we just need to go for it. If it's something relatively small and safe, like offering to pray for somebody, just step out in faith and try it. I mean, I I like to think of, ask the question, what's the worst that can happen? And if the answer to that is, well, I might look a bit silly, but really nothing else is going to go wrong, then just step out and try it. Because the more we act on those nudges from God, the more easy it is to hear his voice another time. Of course, if it's a bigger life decision, like moving house or retirement or moving jobs, then we need to take time to discern, to pray some more, 
and to set this alongside the other ways in which God guides us, testing what we think we're hearing against what we read in Scripture, and by chatting it through with others we know and trust. There are no shortcuts to hearing from God. It's about growing in a relationship with our loving Father as we read his word, spend time with him in prayer, and listen to his voice. In John 10, we read of our loving shepherd who calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. May we grow to know and love his voice and be ready to listen and obey. Amen.